Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. It's our final programme for the year, and as is customary, we'll look back over the sporting year of 2013. I'm joined by the extended RNZ sports team, sports editor Barry Guy, Alex Coogan-Reeves, Bridget Tunneycliffe and Vinnie Wiley. We'll kick off with rugby in the All Blacks' unbeaten year, 14 tests in all, and this is what coach Steve Hansen had to say, reflecting on that achievement. It's a special season in that we've achieved something that no one else has done, and... uh... I'm not sure that it was perfect. You know, there's plenty of uh, things we could do better, and we're not that far ahead of anybody. You know, we're, we've we've been lucky enough to to come through the season without a defeat. But um, you know, there's been plenty of examples of when we could have been beaten, and um, you know, just through sheer tenacity and and a little bit of good luck, we haven't. So we can be proud of that record. But at the same time, we've got to go away and uh, keep working really, really hard to stay where we are. Otherwise, teams are going to catch up and pass us. Well, Barry, you covered a fair bit of the rugby. An impressive record for 2013, and, and your thoughts? Well, it, Stephen, I think it started a year ago. If, well, ever since the end of the World Cup, the All Blacks have played well. They had that loss last year to uh, England. But uh, it's it has been. It's been a remarkable two years, really. I didn't actually think they'd go through this season unbeaten. I felt that the Springboks had shown uh, quite a bit of improvement and would at least win one of the matches. I discounted the Wallabies this year. Uh, they're uh, under Ewan McKenzie. They're still uh, looking to improve. The Springboks possibly feel a little bit unlucky of the sin binning of Bismarck Duplessis in the match at Eden Park, but I do think that that win at Alice Park at the end of the Super Rugby at, at the end of the Rugby Championship rather said a lot about how good this team is. On to the end of the year tour. Well, it went as planned, really. Um, Ireland, uh, we're never going to win that match. They've got to, got to wonder when and if they actually can, don't they? 100 well, years plus. Well, records will end or be broken. And But I just think that the Irish, you know, just the couple of hundred years of their history suggested that uh, something was always going to go wrong there. And it did as far as they were concerned. But again, you always felt that the All Blacks even, you know, right to the final whistle, could have snatched something, and they did. And a bit of luck, perhaps, with Aaron Cruden getting a second chance to kick that uh, goal at the end to win. So uh, the interesting things for me this year were a number of uh, new players coming in, the introduction and development. Uh, Dane Coles at hooker. Uh, Brodie Retellick really came on in the second row. Sam Kane had that great game against the Springboks, uh, you know, when Richie McCaw couldn't play. Uh, Stephen Tua, Charles Pieto, Ben Smith moving into the centres. That still needs some work. But there's so many players there that can slot in now. And the mere fact that Aaron Cruden was named the top first five for this year ahead of Dan Carter uh, shows a lot. The only concern for me, perhaps, is the backup at halfback. Uh, someone needs to be putting some pressure on Aaron Smith there, I think. And, and that's perhaps the only area I have uh, concerns about. But, you know... 2014, you know, I think they're going to lose a game. As I say, the Springboks continue to get better. Let's just hope it doesn't happen against England in those June internationals. Kieran Reid, undoubtedly the, the standout player. 
Uh, yeah, well, he stood out in a very good team uh, and his obvious leadership qualities. He led when uh, Richie McCaw was uh, not available. And um, you, you can just see on the field that he is making from the number eight position a lot of decisions. And that uh, link between the forwards and the backs with him there is, is just outstanding. And yes, he would be a leading contender for Sportsman of the Year. And he is just getting better. And the question is, I suppose, when does he take over the captaincy? Well, Richie McCaw, Dan Carter have both said that they want to be around for that 2015 Rugby World Cup. Can you see that being the case? I mean, given the injury problems, they seem to be recurrent. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do. Uh, I Whether they will be the first choice in their positions is another thing. Uh, Richie McCaw can play a number of positions, so... Um, Perhaps in 2014, you might see the likes of someone like Sam Kane getting a few more matches, Stephen Luatua, because they do want to in, you know, increase their depth there. Uh, Dan Carter, well, you know, we nowadays we have no concerns when he's not there. Uh, he is still a match winner. He is perhaps more of a match winner than Aaron Cruden is. But um, as you say, he has injuries and, you know, what's his longevity? So um, it'll be an interesting 2014 because perhaps by the end of 2014, you will see the side that's going to run out in the World Cup. The Chiefs, Dave Rennie, another great great year for them. Two years in a row, did it without Sonny Bill Williams. You know, consistency there that perhaps they have lacked in recent years and uh, just the way they went through the Super Rugby competition uh, was outstanding. Uh, for me, one of the um, enjoyments of the Super Rugby this year was the Blues. Uh, John Kerwin, his involvement and just, you know, what he, he says about his side and he's a, a joy to interview. Uh, so the Blues, they're on the rise. Uh, the Crusaders, again, under uh, Todd Blackadder, have a few concerns. They haven't won a rugby title in a while. And uh, the Hurricanes and Highlanders really, you know, they're, they're struggling to uh, just keep up with those those top sides. So uh, um, the Chiefs, uh, I don't see any reason why they won't be contenders again in 2014. Canterbury NPC winners again. Well, that was probably the best bet uh, for 2013, is that uh, Canterbury was going to win the Provincial Rugby Championship and Wellington wasn't. Uh, Wellington had played very well throughout the competition, but it just comes to that finals rugby and pressure on them, and Canterbury knows how to play the percentages. Talking to them afterwards, uh, Corey Flynn says it's about just playing down the other end of the field, putting pressure on them and kicking your goals, and they did that and deservedly won the uh, ITM Cup. So while the All Blacks had a memorable winning run, Team New Zealand's America's Cup efforts in San Francisco were memorable, but for very different reasons. The Stars and Stripes say it all. The comeback of 2013 is complete. America's Cup will stay in America. Fantastic race. I mean, uh, we wouldn't have had it any other way. Come from behind. Man, these guys just show so much heart. The winner, the champion, and still the defender of the America's Cup, Oracle Team USA! Not only did Oracle Team USA win the America's Cup, they had an Australian at the helm. Bridget, I suppose one of, or if not the most memorable event of the year, but it certainly caught the nation. 
Yeah, I think um, what it, why it did that in some way is, I think Kiwi see it as a David versus Goliath type thing. Uh, you know, we're up against Oracle, which is funded by a billionaire. There seems to be an unlimited amount of money that can be thrown at the campaign um, to be able to get the best, uh, you know, the best equipment, the best technicians in to make sure the boat is up to scratch. Um, so I think we probably bought into that and. We got excited when we thought we were just on the verge of, you know, taking it and bringing it back to New Zealand. And then, you know, we know what happened after that. Um, but, you know, sometimes I do wonder whether people realise that these these guys sail all year round. It's not just the America's Cup, which happens, what, once every four years. Um, Dean Barker and co, they're, they're sailing all the time. But this event every four years, you know, it's got the history behind it and it does capture our imaginations. We still see it, though, as nation versus nation, don't we? And it's it's really Formula One racing on the water. Yeah, and I think that was, especially this year um, with the AC-72s, I mean, they were incredible boats to watch. Um, it was extremely exciting. But, um, you know, just in terms of the, those boats are really pushing the limits. Um, I think it was in race eight, Team New Zealand were teetering, and we just... We were just about flipped over, and I mean, it wouldn't have meant just that our boat would have been, you know, written off. I mean, someone could have been injured or died, and we saw that with, you know, Bart Simpson for Artemis um, in a practice run leading up to the America's Cup. So I don't know whether people want to take that kind of risk for the next cup. Um, and you know, that what what happened to Team New Zealand and the way, you know, the way we we were up eight one and then. You know, to lose like that, um, you know, people were questioning, people were saying um, at the end, you know, next time, when are we going to put some caps on how much money these teams can spend? Because so, how are you really meant to compete against an Oracle that has bucket loads of money? Um, you know, do do we have the stomach to commit to another four years of that just to turn around and have a team beat us just because they have more money? So, you know... I, you know, people, I think, um, Larry, who is it, Larry Ellison, did talk about, um, you know, you know, thinking about putting some cup caps in place. But I haven't heard anything concrete about that. And uh, maybe it's naive to suggest it, but I would like to see, say, every team have a limited budget and every team have the same amount of money. They can do what they want with it, build what kind of boat they want. But then we would get to see who has, you know, who the best sailors are. The, uh, the team Oracle Team USA certainly seemed to understand their boat a bit better by the end of it, didn't they? I'm, I know Jimmy Spittle mentioned the fact that it was a steep learning curve for them. You obviously don't feel it's simply sailing skills that got them over the line this time. I think um, the fact that we participate, we had the Louis Vuitton Cup first. We probably reached our peak with with our boat earlier than what they did. So we, you know, we reached our peak and then um, Oracle were just starting on that on that trip and they, you know, still had plenty of room to improve. And, you know, it's not, obviously it wasn't just money. They, you know, had some great sailors on their boat and they could afford them. And, you know, they were passionate about retaining the cup. And, of course, now it remains to be seen whether Team New Zealand are back again. Uh, we've got Grant Dalton on the uh, fundraising trick at the moment, trying to sort out or, or boost their coffers so that they can actually maybe announce uh, early or part of next year, some way through, that they'll be putting a team together for the next campaign.
On the motor racing scene, New Zealand's Scott Dixon won his third IndyCar championship. 33-year-old New Zealander Scott Dixon is your champion. Dixon does it. It just means so much, you know, that how competitive everybody is in this, in this series um, and, and to, you know, the, the trials and tribulations that we had to fight through this year. Scott Dixon, well, he struggled through this year for a part of it, uh, Barry, and then it all sort of came right from in, in that second half. Uh, yes, it was consistency, which every sports person says uh, claims success, I suppose. This is his third uh, championship and could well be, well, yeah, the significance of the first one, but one of his most pleasurable, perhaps, because he was up against uh, some top drivers. He had some uh, internal sort of rivalries going on with certain drivers. And, yeah, it, things didn't start out so well for him, but then he just put a string of results together, victories and podium finishes, and that consistency got him through uh, in the end. It did come down to the last race that he had to clinch um, certain positions, and he, and he did so. And this, uh, you know, Scott Dixon would have to go down as you know, one of our uh, great drivers now. Three, three successes in North America, and um, he's uh, right up there. Whether you think IndyCars is as good as the rest or not, you know, it's, it's hugely significant. And uh, presumably uh, a contender for Sportsman of the Year. Right up there, yep. I've got him in my uh, final two or three for Sportsman of the Year. And just touching Formula One, Sebastian Vettel. Well, uh, the IndyCars was more exciting. <laughs> uh, it was close and, you know, there were changes, various winners. And although Vettel didn't start particularly well, um, he certainly dominated the uh, latter part of the season. I think he won everything there. And uh, like Michael Schumacher a few years ago, it uh, it does take uh, something away from the competition that uh, you have someone dominating. So fingers crossed that... Um, the others improve next year, perhaps, and it's a bit more competitive. All very much one-way traffic. Alex, basketball, a year of ups and downs on the court. The Breakers won their third straight Australian National Basketball League title. Yes, well, the year started very well, didn't it? Much like the the last two, where we've had um, the Breakers pretty much absolutely dominant in that league, and they uh, went on to sweep Perth in the finals to win three in a row. They're only the second team to have done that. And... Um, yeah, and since then it's sort of all turned to custard a wee bit uh, with with sort of the number of changes that team's gone through. But, yeah, definitely in April this year it was something to celebrate uh, the one of the top uh, sports teams in New Zealand, you'd say. Andre Lamanis's departure, I mean, how much do we put their success down to him? Yeah, that's definitely got to be part of it. Obviously it took him a long time in that role to enjoy the success he's had. So to expect Dean Vickerman to step straight up, even though he has been involved with the organisation for a long time, to expect him in his first year head coaching to dominate from the start is a big ask. But I think it's almost been a perfect storm of changes for the Breakers. They've lost Andre Lamanis. They've also lost their best player, Cedric Jackson, and he's been replaced with a rookie who's playing in his first year as a professional. So it's a big ask for him to to take on that weight that Cedric Jackson had, who was simply too good for the NBL, really. He he was another uh, step above. They've also lost Dylan Boucher, who, while he wasn't a star player necessarily and didn't fill up the box score like others, it's those intangibles that he does on the court that they talk about so much, all those hustle plays. And they don't really have a guy, apart from maybe Mika Vakona, that can really sort of fill that gap. And then finally, the, the rule changes that have come in this year um, that's forced them to sort of change their whole defensive scheme with um, more fouls being given and that sort of thing to make a better TV product hasn't really uh, 
worked in the breakers' favour, and that's how they found themselves in the position they are in now. Also, of course, Stephen Adams broke into the NBA. With the 12th pick in the 2013 NBA draft, the Oklahoma City Thunder select Stephen Adams from Rotorua, Rotorua, New Zealand, and the University of Pittsburgh. Feels amazing, hey! Um, all my, all the New Zealand like family was just rooting for OKC, so yeah, I'm pretty happy that I ended up ended up going to OKC. And Alexi's had quite an, or made quite an impression at OKC. Yeah, it's um, actually been a surprise to a lot of uh, basketball people in New Zealand. When he was drafted, there was so much talk about, yeah, but is he going to get any minutes? Are we, are we actually going to see him on the court this year? And he's actually come out and surprised everyone. And um, he's playing consistent minutes as a backup centre there at the Thunder and doing a lot of things that people are talking about. He's uh, got an offensive game that people didn't perhaps realise that he has. And... Um, and then also just learning the game on defense and playing very well. The other thing that I think has um, captured a lot of the American fans is just his uh, sort of straight-up Kiwi personality. I don't think they're, they're used to seeing someone who is just so straight-up and um, nothing seems to faze him. He's he's already just um, wound up a lot, a lot of his opponents because he's just so staunch and... Um, a number of players have been suspended now for having a go at him, but he just brushes it straight off. He's just a very cool customer. And um, developing a almost cult following a, uh, among a lot of American NBA fans. Also making headlines internationally this year, Auckland golfer Lydia Cobe. She turned professional recently after months of questioning. Well, if you can beat me, you can definitely handle the pressure of going pro. Must be time now. OK, I'll do it. What? I'll do it. Do what? Turn pro. Right now, like this moment, right here, right now. Yep, right now, right this second. Definitely. Yes! Yes! <laughs> I'm the first to know! <laughs> Congrats! Thank you. Good luck. Israel Dagg and Lydia Ko announcing that she's going pro. Alex, she's... Well, that was it was always going to happen, wasn't it? Yeah, well, um, it didn't look like for a long time there that she was actually going to wait until she got to 18 or finished college, like what she had said early in her career. Just with the success she's had over the last two years, really, it was inevitable that um, that was going to be pushed forward. And, um, yeah, I think she finally got sick of answering all the questions about it from golf journalists around the world and, and made that decision and announced it in that uh, sort of unique way that is uh, very Lydia. And she, in no time at all, of course, won her first uh, paycheck. Yeah, pretty amazing, um, but I guess not a surprise with with the uh, success she's already had that she would um, just continue that. And she had a good finish in her first uh, pro tournament and then went on and obviously won the swinging skirts, as it's uh, called in Taiwan, um, which I believe was $180,000, so not a bad start to uh, boost the coffers early in the career. And uh, Alex, no doubt, the medal contender for Brazil in 2016 because golf's on the programme there. Yeah, you'd have to think by that time she would have uh, notched a few wins in her world ranking. She's number four now. I'd be uh, surprised if she's not somewhere in that vicinity, perhaps even number one. The, o- the only thing is about golf is it all comes down to the day. So she, she, while she'll be in contention, you w- you'd never say that she could just uh, waltz in there and easily uh, take the gold medal. But I'm sure with the sort of work ethic she's got and the way she's targeted it, that uh, she's going to have a fairly good chance. 
Now, Brazil, certainly not on the itinerary for the All-Whites. Their hopes of reaching their third World Cup were dashed when they were trounced by Mexico in the football qualifying playoffs. Ricky Herbert was unable to bring about a repeat of the effort that got his side to South Africa in 2010. And following the match against Mexico and Wellington, his contract came to an end. He left in the belief that he wasn't recognised for his achievements. I guess when my tenure started and the dual role sort of capacity, I think, you know, generated a lot more interest around the media. How can a guy do sort of two jobs? Um, and I, I, I guess that's been something where people have always wanted to attack from a, it's not possible to do it. And, you know, I think with the national side, to actually juggle two jobs, which was always kind of the quote, but we went to a World Cup in one shot, one tenure, we went to a World Cup. And I might be wrong, but I'm the first New Zealand-born coach to do it. So that's pretty special for me. But I think there's been incredible sort of jealousy from certain areas of the, of, of the market that have never wanted to accept that success. Well, Vinny, I suppose uh, the disappointment was not necessarily that they simply lost to Mexico. Obviously a tougher assignment than getting past Bahrain the, the last time in the qualifiers. But particularly that first game of Mexico when they were absolutely thrashed, they just never looked like they were, were capable, didn't they? No, well, uh, it was a bit of an achievement, really, if they got two passes uh, sticking to their own team. Uh, you know, I saw a comment made about one-touch football, but it was one touch to the opposition and then the other way again... Uh, I mean, such a blow before those playoffs, of course. Uh, Winston Reid, uh, who effectively became the Ryan Nelson, uh, the sort of the linchpin, the, the leader of the team, the, the only premiership player uh, you know, who's um, been excelling at that level as well. Uh, to lose him, and in the fashion they did, just so close to it as well. Uh, the one guy you wouldn't want to lose. Um, combine that with the fact that they, they had what I guess you would call quite negative tactics over in Brazil. It was a specific game plan that they wanted to play. They wanted to contain and, and, and try and just maybe eke out maybe a 1-2-0 or two nil loss or keep it competitive to come back to. Um, but, you know, simple things like tracking their own men uh, or tracking the defenders, they weren't able to do that. And then so once they went down 1-2-0, or two nil, it sort of basically shot it to pieces and it became, what, 5-0 or something. And then they came back with, with, with not a shot and hope, really, at all. Um, and then well, the whole country's on a bit of a downer then. It's a, a bit of a, a game for the sake of it. And then at least in Wellington, when they lost, they... They played the way that I guess the public want them to play. They they put some of the young guys in, the people that are going to be the future. Um, you know, that some Marco Rojas obviously hasn't had a lot of football recently, and that didn't help either. He's moved over to Germany in the past 12 months, uh, which is an, a great achievement for New Zealand football as well. But um, the likes of him and Costa Barbarousas and, and some of these young guys, uh, Chris James got another chance in the central midfield. Uh, these McGlinchey, these are the guys that are going to obviously going to be sort of the future for the team, and then the setup of having sort of a four-four-two and, and or a four-three-three instead of having the five at the back with the two wingers, and they're all makeshift wingers as well. You know, playing people out of position. It was just, it was just a bit ugly all round. Of course, it remains to be seen just what the qualifying path will be next time around for the All Whites, whether they may well be part of Asia rather than Oceania. Moving on to netball, Bridget disappointing year for the, the Silver Ferns. Yeah, 4-1 uh, uh, loss to Australia uh, in the Constellation Cup, 4-1 series loss. Yeah, it was pretty disappointing but, um, you know, uh, Waitamanu used the series really to do a bit of experimentation. Probably the most um, noteworthy one was benching Irene van Dijk for a couple of games and giving Catherine Latu some full games at goal shoot. Um, I still think that on a consistent basis, Iron Van Dyke is our best goal shoot, but um, 
it just means that uh, Y will probably have more confidence to put Latu on for a quarter or two um, if the need arises. And that's the ability that Australia have had for a couple of years now. It's uh, it's just not really good enough to have you know seven players on for the full game now. Uh, it's almost a tactical thing because the defender gets so accustomed to the shooter so quickly that to have the ability to mix it up is a real advantage. So... Yeah, I, I can see why why did it. And the other thing to remember is that, you know, hopefully we'll, next year we'll see the, the return of Liana Leota, Camilla Lees, Kayla Cullen. Um, so what does that mean for the Com Games next year? Um, uh, it'll be really close again. <laughs> will, will it be? Surprise, surprise. Will, will um, be? Well, I think... Um, yeah, I, well, let's just say at this point in time, I won't be surprised if yet again it comes down to a couple of goals in that final. But I would say that I do think Australia have reason to be more comfortable. They have a slight advantage in the fact that they have 12 players who can take the court. They've got every position. Every position that they have on court can be swapped with someone else and they won't lose a thing. So that's their advantage. Tennis, uh, Rafael Nadal finished the year at number one, quite a comeback after injury. Uh, Vinny, of course, um, Andy Murray, first British male to win Wimbledon in 77 years. Yes, well, he's uh, finally got that monkey off his back in 2012, winning uh, a, a Grand Slam at the US Open uh, under Ivan Lendl, and, of course, uh, success uh, at the Olympics as well. Um, so he's really kicked on from there, hasn't he? He's uh, winning at Wimbledon, uh, you know, very special for him, of course. I think winning in London, winning at the Olympics, really, that helps sort of break down some of those barriers of winning at home. And he's the sort of guy that I think he beats himself up a little bit sometimes. He's he's actually quite endearing, I find. You know, he's said the other day, didn't he, that he sounds boring and he can't help it. But he's, he, he seems like a nice guy. And I think it's just taken him a bit of time all up. He's got so much pressure on him, you know, to be that first British male and the spotlight that you're under over there. Uh, so as he slowly breaks down those barriers, he's we've seen him improve in the world. And I think he's only ranked fourth at the moment. But, I mean, you feel like he's, you know, he, he's definitely a part of that team now. He, I don't think he goes into a Grand Slam worried or he feels like he can win it. And uh, I guess, uh, as you mentioned, though, Rafael Nadal, I mean, he's a, he's a class on his own. He's That's a different kettle of fish, really. Uh, Roger Federer's on the decline now. Um, first time since 2002, I think it is, that he didn't appear in a Grand Slam final in a season. His run of uh, 30 or 40-odd uh, consecutive Grand Slam quarterfinals ended, and he's fallen down to six in the world, which is pretty unprecedented. So uh, it's very much uh, Novak Djokovic is pretty uh, consistent there, but Nadal to come back from you know seven, eight, nine months out with a knee injury and win 10 titles, two Grand Slams is a phenomenal achievement. I mean, it's always been a question with Nadal is about his knees and the amount of pressure he puts on them and the amount you know, of effort he gives and puts his body on the line, how long can he last? But to come back and show that sort of performance is, is quite outstanding and you know, him and Murray are still very much of an age where there's a lot of years left, as well as Djokovic, who's, you know, Djokovic is a very, very fit, very very physically uh, good there and doesn't look like he's going to have too many issues. So uh, it's very much those three at the moment and a lot to the rest. And now Federer is one of the rest. Cricket, and uh, while the talk's been recently, certainly domestically, about the Black Caps ending their winless streak uh, with the recent win at the Basin Reserve over the West Indies, no doubt the biggest cricket story of the year was Sachin Tendulkar, the 40-year-old, spent the 24 years of his life on the international scene and his 200-test career came to an end at his home ground, the Wankhede Stadium, last month in Mumbai. Tendulkar's got to go. That is the end of this innings. Tendulkar is on the slow march back. There is a deathly silence here at the Wankhede Stadium, Mumbai. 
what an innings from the master thanks for the entertainment for 24 years it would have been fantastic if uh, it would have been a hundred but Sachin Tendulkar Sachin Ramesh Tendulkar thank you thank you thank you so the career of Sachin Tendulkar came to an end I think he started out as a 16 year old and uh, he scored a uh, hundred centuries in one day and test match cricket the little master as he was known we'll touch briefly on a few other things um, athletics Barry Valerie Adams 42 events is it on the trot uh, yes, I suppose. Um, I, I thought uh, a year or two ago that her uh, supremacy in the event might have been coming to an end and they were closing in on her, but she's managed to stretch it back out again and uh, seems to be unbeatable. Uh, still winning by a metre over everyone else. She continued that this year, winning a World Championship title again. And there's uh, no reason, uh, having followed her and the amount of effort that she's putting in, that that's going to stop uh, for a while. So uh, pretty much gold guaranteed in the, the shot put, at least, in, in Glasgow? Uh, yes. I uh, Unless she falls over for some reason in the rain in Glasgow, uh, I can't see that she's going to lose. Swimming, we should mention Lauren Boyle's achievements. Oh, fantastic. You know, uh, they, uh, some of them were short course, and some of them, uh, of course, uh, are the year after an Olympics, and you wonder whether, um, you know, everyone's at their peak. But... Uh, she has really, in those uh, longer freestyle events, just made them her own and consistently throughout, throughout the year. Even at the end of the year in Australia, she's been performing and winning as well. So she's, uh, she's certainly uh, up for Sportswoman of the Year with those efforts. And just before we go, we should mention Rugby League. The Kiwis made the World Cup final, but they were overpowered by the Kangaroos. The Warriors, well, their NRL struggles continue. So Barry, Vinny, Alex, um, thoughts on just uh, who might take out the Supreme Award at the Halbergs? Well, I've said Valerie Adams and Lauren Boyle. Uh, Alex, no doubt, has a word about um, Lydia Ko and Vinny. Who else? Lisa Carrington might be uh, one to throw in there. Yeah, no, she's had a wonderful year, as as always. Uh, to be honest, uh, my, my my hope for the Halbergs, and it's my only hope, and it's not specific to any category necessarily, is I just I just don't want the All Blacks to win any of the uh, the awards this year. It's not that they're not brilliant or whatever, but I I, I feel like you sort of need uh, major. I don't know. I just you know I may. I mean, it's an amazing achievement, 14, but I, I just want, you know, Rugby World Cup, fair enough, but I, I just fear that, like, the All Blacks are going to win Team of the Year or, um, or, or that, you know, Kieran Reid's going to get, not that he's an outstanding player, isn't an outstanding player, but that's that's my only wish for the Hellbooks. How do you compare one to the other? You know, that's that's the difficult thing. Or maybe there is criteria, well, no because one... Radio New Zealand hasn't had a uh, person on the judging panel for a very long time. <laughs> well, no, no one's ever happy, are they? Because, I mean, even if you're... Sorry to hop back to rugby, but I mean, even within that rugby, you think the Chiefs, you know, arguably their victory this year is more of an achievement than last year without some of the players that they lost. So, um, but they're not even nominated, and, and uh, I think you know the Breakers have had a tough time within their three-peat of even getting nominated for what is a pretty outstanding achievement as well to to win in a foreign league like that. So, um, as you say, it's it's so hard to compare, and I, I I guess that's what's exciting about it is that you know you've got to compare these uh, you know achievements on the global front. I mean. Lydia Coe, you know, was still an amateur for pretty much all of that run. Well, then you've got people that come second or third in events, but in quite a truly global capacity. So how do you, how do you weigh that up? But I guess that's half the fun, right? Hate to burst your bubble, Vinny, but I'd be very surprised if the All Blacks don't walk away with Supreme and Karen Reid with Sportsman of the Year. I would suggest that Lydia Coe will break Valerie Adams seven straight or whatever it is for Sportswoman as well. 
I, you just get a bit of voter fatigue with these things as well, and they, they do like to let other people have a go, I feel. And with what Liddy has done, you wouldn't say it would be undeserved. Barry, Alex, Vinny, Bridget, thanks for your time, and that brings us to the end of Extra Time for this week and also for 2013. Remember, if you wish to contact us, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Stephen Hewson. Goodbye for now. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.